Welcome to X-Rated. Yes! This is episode 30. I'm Matt Fisher. I'm Ryan Whedon. That's what Bowling 300 <laughs> sounds like in Introducing Yourself podcast form. <sighs> Feels good. Yeah. It's a uh, block of turkeys we just, <laughs> we just did there. I thought we said them on Gaggle. Mm. A gobble of turkeys. A gobble of turkeys. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah. Uh, we have a special guest today, my dog Lucy, who will be uh, providing the chewing stylings on her bully stick. <laughs> so it's a love affair over there. Yeah. She it... is. Oh, God. <laughs> Get a room. <laughs> we here at X-Rated, we love our ladies. We love our ladies, that's for sure. We, we have a disproportionate appreciation for a number of actresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of which... Uh, Parker Posey. Yeah. Jessica Walter. Angela Lansbury. Uh, Shailene Woodley. Shailene Woodley. Emily Blunt, I'll toss in there. And this is probably going to be the first of many tributes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we've chosen... Probably the one that's mutually nearest and dearest to our hearts. Man, I think, yeah, I almost don't even want to do opening banter. I want to dive right in, because I feel like I could talk about this lady. A very special lady. Forever. Uh, the, the lady in question is Gina Gershon. The one and only. She really is a one and only. Man. There's no one like her. And I can't, I still... I can't exactly put my finger on what makes her so special, uh, because there's so many. <laughs> it's true. So many things that make her special. So, part of our double feature, mm -hmm. we have the classic Bound, also a great Pride movie, as mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I realized while I was watching this weekend. Uh, great Pride movie, and then we went in blind. We, we, We're trying something new. Yeah, with uh, House of Versace. Oh yeah, Versace. <laughs> I love Versace. And Lifetime original movie yeah. with uh, Gina Gershon as Donatella Versace. Versace. And um, I think we're going to have a lot of talk about, to talk about. But before, before we get to the movies, I'd, okay. I'd like to talk a little bit about the woman herself. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, now, I hope, you, I hope you have a helmet you can put on because I'm about to blow your mind. Um... Yesterday, I had, a, I had a little party at my house, which you came to. Mm -hmm. I remember and, well. Um, like it was yesterday. <laughs> and uh, we did not know, but we were also celebrating the day that Gina Gershon was born. What? Her birthday was yesterday. <laughs> you have to let all the invitees know that it was a, a, a secret, uh, a stealth <laughs> Gershon party. Yeah, a celebration of Gina Gershon on her birthday. I didn't know until today. I looked it up, and there it was, June 10th. Wow. Yeah, so it's like cosmic. How it's does it feel, together. without revealing too much to the listeners, how does it feel to have your own birthday so close to Gina Gershon's? I mean, I'm like tingling. Tingling, and you know, with, with there's tingling. And... It's thrilling. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was so th exciting to see that. Um... And to know that she's turned, she's a uh, fifty-two. I want to say now she's kept it tight. Looks great. Yeah, she's just a, she's still a beautiful lady. Um, I don't think she ever like had a dip in that department, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I don't think so. Even in like Killer Joe, where she's sort of playing white trash. Yeah, she still looks hot. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so that's a fun fact. Fun fact number one. She, uh, let's see. Don't know. I was, I was kind of wigging out on how many things she's starred in. She's been or in... Or been in, just been in. Yeah. Yeah, because she's been in a number, like, quite a few. Like, her filmography is pretty extensive. Not starring roles exclusively, right. but... Just like, but just some of the some of the strange things I didn't know she was in, such as like the Cars video, "Hello Again." Oh, really? Yeah, she's the girl in the green dress who sticks her tongue out and has "Hello" written on it. <laughs> I know. I I've also Rico Kasich was is is lucky that he is in a rock band because he is not a looker, <laughs> but his wife is bananas hot, <laughs> and they just like went to like. They just retired to like Aruba or something, and that's where he's been spending like his post 30 years yeah. like wouldn't you i mean yeah like he made a million bucks bought a house in aruba married a supermodel and was like i'm done <laughs> i'm gonna live on the beach with my <laughs> super hot wife forever yeah, now until uh, until i die that yeah. sounds great um i was thinking watching that video he is kind of a weird looking dude yeah it's a good thing he was a rock star <laughs> yeah and a good one yeah i, I, will I like say. the cars i yeah. like the cars a lot too that first album solid yeah oh yeah classic yeah. I think um, one of my favorite lyrics of all time is "Let them brush your rock and roll hair." Yeah, it's so good. That's good. Um, but uh, she was also on Melrose Place in a plotline I completely forgot about. God, I never saw the show, but she's like she works at Shooters, the place where the bar where they all hang out, and she tries to get one of the Melrose Placeians to become a sex worker, mm. basically like a high end. Was it Melrose Place? Were they not in high school? Yeah, they're not in high school. Oh, I always thought it was. Maybe it's because all the people I knew who watched it were in high school. Yeah. I watched it when I was in junior high, and I was too young. But yeah, she's there. She's uh, one of the uncredited dancers and Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Oh, wow. I know. I would, if I had known, I would have thrown this on and watched, watched it for this podcast. Yeah. Because I really like that movie. Um, she's also, she, she's in... Oh, the movie. I think you meant the music video. No, no, no. The movie, yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's totally her. She has big, huge 80s hair. She looks... Looks great. Um, and she's in the uh, the coming out episode of Ellen. Uh, God, really? Yeah, it's like right after it's because there's a two parter, right? So right at the beginning of the second part, Ellen's like going through the supermarket and keeps seeing like lesbian things everywhere. And Gina Gershon is the checkout girl, and she goes, "So if you're lesbian, twenty nine. Excuse me, eleven twenty nine. Please." It was a two-parter episode? It was, yeah. Did she come out at the, in the first episode or the second episode? I don't remember. Okay. I haven't seen, I haven't seen it since it aired. Uh, yeah, I, ne- I never actually saw it. I just remember, like, the, you know, uh, meteor hole that it left. Yeah, it was when it, huge. Yeah. It was a huge deal. Crater is the word I was <laughs> No, no, meteor hole works. <laughs> I have another fun fact, but I'm going to hold... I'm going to sit on it oh. until... Mm. <laughs> Until uh, we start talking about Bound because it relates to that. Those are some of my favorite things that I've seen that I've seen her in that aren't just like. I was gonna say movies. she crops up in movies that I'm not expecting. Like when I watch Cocktail, like she's the chick right? in the beginning. I'm like, what is she doing in this? Yeah. I mean, she kind of disappears after Act One. But <laughs> so does the plot of that movie, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like there's 15 minutes of like him bartending in New York, and then he. Jets what happens? to some <laughs> tropical island and like spends the rest of the movie there, like kind of bartending. <laughs> I um, 
I haven't seen that movie in a long time. It's not good. Not worth revisiting. It's, no. Okay. It's, not even for the hippie hippie shake? No, it's really boring. Oh. Like, the beginning of it's kind of fun, because it's like, I don't know, I can imagine the, the romance and allure of a New York bartender, like, in that, like, decadent age. Sure. But the movie abandons that all, like, really quickly and just kind of becomes garbage. As a bartender, I can attest that the lifestyle is not glamorous. <laughs> yeah. So. I imagine it's a lot of cutting limes. <laughs> yeah. A lot you of white you were witness to that yesterday. <laughs> I was making a, myself a drink at the party last night, and there was only, like, one lime slice left, but the bowl of lemons was still full. <laughs> I know. No one touched the lemons. It was because gin and tonics just were a hit for some reason. You had the nice Tanqueray out. These retro drinks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did discover while doing research for this that um, there is a Daily Motion user named GG Vids, and what they've done is they've gone through everything Gina Gershon has done, and they've just edited it the parts that she's in. <laughs> and it's been a great resource, so thank you, wow. GG Vids. Check it out. There's all sorts of good ones on there. Outside of the two movies that we watched today, mm-hmm. and outside of Showgirls, mm-hmm. which which movie made you fall in love with Gina Gershon? I mean, definitely. I mean, Showgirls was, was my moment with her, where it was like, oh yeah, this lady is something special. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, after that, I think it might have been. I, I guess I would have to say. Demon Lover, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. yeah, she really, she really got me excited in that movie. <laughs> and then once she, spoiler alert, passes away, it's kind of like, oh, this movie's. Not, I'm not that excited about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with Demon Lover. How about you? Um, for me, a lot of Gina Gershon, she's just always kind of been there mm-hmm. in in my mind. But I would say that like my love and appreciation was solidified outside of Showgirls, which I'd seen. Parts of even at like an inappropriately young age <laughs> uh, was probably around Killer Joe. Yeah. Okay, that was the one I almost said. Because there's a lot of things that she does in there that, especially near the end, when she brings home like a bucket of fried chicken. Yeah. And she calls it K Fried C. Yeah. She's great in that. I I mean I actually almost wish we'd watch Killer Joe for this too because mm-hmm. I really want to revisit that. Um. But. I don't know, maybe, maybe we will somewhere along the line. Yeah. I mean, we, we're big freaking friends here, so yeah. you never know if that's coming back. Plus, I'm always up for seeing Emil Hirsch. I think he's a handsome lad. Uh, yeah, how many times did you watch the unrated version of The Girl Next Door, where they show his butt? What? I never actually watched the whole movie, but there is a scene where he's, like, running, or maybe he's on a bike that's and he's naked. Oh. Uh, but yeah, you get you get the back side of him anyway in that one. Ding, ding. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll put that in my, put that in my cap. <laughs> <laughs> next week on Next Rated. Girl Next Door. I can dive in. All right, the first movie in our double feature of our Gershonathon is uh, 1996's Bound, Bound. Uh, directed by the Wachowskis. Yeah, their first directorial yeah. movie. Yeah, which I did not know until we picked this movie, and I'm I always 
I always thought The Matrix was their first movie. And yeah. I was like, wow, they just hit it out of the park first time out. Uh, well, they still did. Yeah, that's actually... Yeah, they did. They really did. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the Wachowskis had the idea for The Matrix years before making it, and they approached the studio with like the script, and the studio was like, this seems you know crazy and fun and cool, but you have never made a movie before, so we're not going to like give you a huge budget if you've yeah. never made a movie before. So then they had to make like a scrappy independent movie with like on a shoestring budget and see if they could do good with it. Six million. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's that seems kind of paltry, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean in like mid nineties, that's probably doable. But still that's not a lot to make a movie. No. Um but I I mean we can go back I've gone back to the record when um our guest and our last double feature mentioned Bound as one of her favorite um, female-fronted movies. Yeah. Other female-centric movies with um, uh, uh, Bound. Oh, I love Bound. <laughs> no, I thought you were like neutral on it. I'm the one who loves it. Well, I remember... Well, I don't know. Now, actually, you, I just, maybe I'm just excited because you, you, know, you said it. And I'm just like, Bound. Cause, well, cause, yeah, um, I, I, I almost made you rewatch it because I love that movie so yeah. much. And then I had to think about it. And actually, yeah, I used to not, I used to think I didn't like this movie. Yeah. And it was because I had a friend who came out at the same time as me. Okay. And she made me and my friend watch endless, horrible lesbian independent film movies. <laughs> okay. So it's just like, but uh, Bound came kind of on the tail end of that. Okay. And so I think I just had sort of fatigue. Okay. And kind of like, wasn't even paying attention while watching it. Because watching it for the podcast this time, was like, oh my God, this movie's great. I really like it. So yeah, because I remember Bound was one of the movies that I initially had in like our original challenge. Right, yeah. And I, you know, I said Bound, and you're like, oh, I've seen it. And like, you kind of dismiss it. You're like, it's, it's whatever. It's fine. I'm like, what? <laughs> Cause a, like we had already established like our love for Gina Gershon at that point. I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, it's a Gina Gershon movie. And like, you're eh on it. I know. And it's a really good Gina Gershon. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it always kind of shocked me that you'd held this sort of meh opinion on it all these years. Yeah. I, I'm sad that it took me this long to well, realize. Probably cause I watch bound every two years or so. Yeah. Thereabouts. Just, A, I love heist movies. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I... I don't think I realized it was a heist movie. <laughs> I was so tuned out uh, for, while watching it. Okay. So, the very first time. Yeah, I'm already predisposed to liking heist movies. Same like, here, same it, here. it can be a, a heist movie, and I'll like it a little bit more just because, I don't know. Yeah, they're fun. But yeah, that dynamic is always fun. Uh, but with Bound, and so, all right, we, we mentioned some of our top tier actresses. At the, at the front of this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, I would put Jennifer Tilly in, like, the sort of second range. Yeah. Like... She's really good in this movie. Academy Award nominated. Not for this movie, but... Yeah. She is an Academy Award nominated actress mm -hmm. uh, for Bullets Over Broadway. Uh, I like that scene in Seed of Chucky. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Tilly, of course, is the voice of the evil lady doll in the franchise. Right. But then in Seed of Chucky, she's playing herself. And then, is it Red Man's in it? Method Man? Jizza? Someone from the Wu-Tang Clan <laughs> is in it. 
And they're having dinner, and she's like, so which of my movies do you like? And he goes, that one where you bang the chick. <laughs> and she goes, oh, bound. Oh, no. <laughs> Everybody likes that one. I didn't realize how stylish mm. it was. The color, the coloring in this movie is, I feel like other directors have tried this technique of like having the movie dominated by certain colors and it yeah. always looks unnatural. Mm -hmm. But this, it's, there's black, white, red in almost every single shot. Yeah. And then there's like smatterings of green and purple right. throughout. Uh, and really that's the end of the colors in that movie. It's a super limited color palette. Yeah. It, but it works like it doesn't feel like it's limiting or unnatural where right other movies that sort of try that trick it it feels really inorganic yeah here like even just when the characters are introduced like the elevator's all red right they're like both the ladies are wearing just like black leather uh and white, mm -hmm. uh, and they're all pale. Like their skin is very white and pale. Right. They're usually wearing either red or black lipstick. Right. Uh, and then the buttons on the elevator are green. That's right. Yeah. So it's a contrast. Yeah. So it's like you got the red elevator there in black and white, and then the buttons on the elevator are green. And you just kind of see that same thing like over and over throughout the whole movie. Yeah. That's just like one of the elements of attention to detail that they really mm -hmm. did a great job with in this movie. And I think it helps that the, basically the entire movie is filmed indoors. Yeah. Like almost all of it is either in those two apartments. Um, I mean, there's that one scene in the lesbian bar Yeah, um, or it takes place at, at uh, Gina Gershon's apartment. Yeah. There's like a couple shots of outside, but for the most part, it's like kind of a claustrophobic feel in these like small, real contained areas. Yeah. Um, and so that's good because it gives them that ability to control the yeah. color palette a little more. So there, there's the way that they sort of foreshadow, it sort of plays with, you know, your expectation. So the beginning of the movie, we see Gina Gershon tied up in the closet. Mm -hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. Uh, Literally. Yeah, hands tied behind her back, gagged in her mouth. You plan this whole thing. To make our own choices, we pay our own prices. Five years is a long time. Where's the fucking money? And we kind of get flashes of her in there as the movie's progressing. Yeah. And one of the scenes is, it shows her and she's like kind of like waking up like she's regaining consciousness. But you hear... Uh, a, a vocal, like a flashback, like you hear a voiceover from the previous in the movie. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon talking about Corky and Violet. Uh, uh, Corky. Corky, Corky. What are you doing? Yeah, Corky is uh, Gina Gershon, Violet is <laughs> Jennifer Tilly. Uh, talking about, like, you know, if I'm going to do a job with someone, you know, I can... I can fuck a stranger I just... I can fuck someone I've just met, but if I'm going to, you know, pull a heist, I have to know them better than I know myself. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, do you feel like you know me that well? well we're going to find out. And it, it has that implication that she's tied up in the closet that Violet might have betrayed her. Yeah. Like, it plays with your expectations. I thought like, that going in the yeah. yeah. And that's it's one of those nice it. touches. Like, it could just be a memory in her head. Or it could be foreshadowing to, like, what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Did they, the Wachowskis write this script, too? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, it's just, it's good writing. There's a, there's real economy 
uh, of writing and th- when they're talking about the heist. Yeah. How they're going to do it and actually showing it kind of yeah. as it's happening. That's nice. I really like it when heist movies do that. Yeah, I just liked a lot of the visual touches they would do. Like, there's one shot where it's like a gun barrel and like a, a scotch, a glass of scotch. And yeah. They start on the gun barrel and then slowly pull the, out. Yeah, and the scotch like pours into the glass. Yeah. And, like, as the camera's pulling back, the glass fills up. It's just a nice transition. I don't know, maybe that, yeah, it's a screenwriter. Like, they had the idea originally, but it's, it was nice. Or, like, when, um, I think it's when Violet's calling Corky, and you see the, like, they follow the phone cable. It's me. It's a small flourish um, that's totally unnecessary, but it makes the movie visually interesting. I think it also foreshadows to the Wachowski's tech fetish. Indeed. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's a couple things in here because the movie, for the most part, the camera doesn't move too terribly much, but, you know, it's mostly, like, stationary or just, like, dolly. Mm-hmm. But then there's that scene when uh, Caesar opens up the case and sees the money's gone. Oh, God. Caesar. And it switches to that, oh, that yeah. camera that's like attached to your body. Right. See? Oh, no. Oh. Oh, God. And it's like he's shaking around, and it looks so much different. And the contrast between like the steady cams all throughout the film that you see, and then going to this shot where it's like shaky yeah. and off centered and unfocused, like you really feel Caesar's panic in that moment. Yeah. That sort of overwhelming, like, oh shit moment. Yeah, and especially if you're seeing that on a big screen, it's yeah. going to be really disorienting and maybe even nauseating. Uh, or when uh, Caesar shoots that one mafia, so it's like a big deal. It almost looks like the wall... Like, the floor is becoming the wall behind them. I was wondering how they did that, because I think he actually does just fall backwards. Because his hat comes off. Yeah. Like, the hat falls back, so it's like, he has to fall, but the way that he does it, it really hammers in how momentous an event that is. Yeah. Uh, And it looks cool. Like, it just... It's like a a proto-bullet time sort of effect. Totally. Oh, there's another really good shot when, like, Christopher Maloney's character comes in... To uh, and he like bends over to kiss um, Violet's hand. Yes, I know exactly which scene you're talking and, about. And like you just see Caesar with the like his pissed face right yeah, behind him. It's almost like and because he's hiding behind Chris in frame, he's hiding behind Christopher Malone. And Christopher Malone bends down, and you just see this like frowny. Face. He may as well just be like doing the the thing where he draws <laughs> his finger across his neck, like shaking his head, you know, kind of kind of motion. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty good. It's. It's just small things like that that make and, a movie interesting to look at. And that's know? one of those shots that's like, that technique has existed since like the silent era. Like, yeah. That's not a new technique, but it's done so well. And you can see why people go back to it, because it's so effective. Totally. Like, you have this like reveal of Caesar looking pissed, and then like between Violet and him is Christopher Maloney's character. Yeah. I like... Um... I like also the treatment of the fact that these are gay characters in this movie. Like all Wachowski films, it's about people like trying to like break free. It's like sure their humanity is like trying to break free of these shackles. Totally, yeah. Uh, 
And like that's like the big reward at the end. It's not necessarily the money, it's that they get to be together. Yeah. Like that that's the overall reward. Nobody dies. I mean none of the gay characters. Yeah. <laughs> Lots, Lots of people, people die. die. Uh but I was like one of my notes is like, oh man, because I didn't I didn't really didn't remember how it ended. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I really hope one of these people doesn't die. Uh, I totally expected Jennifer Tilly's character to, to die. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was like, great. She's going to have some, like, thing. But no, she just ends up being a badass and gets the woman in the end. Yeah. And it's like, I was, I was like, screaming, hallelujah, this is great. And I also, like, because they had, like, a little tiff before, like, the fight was going on. They're like, uh, before they planned the heist, but they're, you know, talking about, like, you know, you don't know me that well, or we're different, or, mm-hmm. you know, and then at the end when they're like... You know what the difference is between you and me, Violet? No. Me neither. It was just this great little scene where, yeah, happy ending, they both get the girl, and they got a new red truck. Yeah! It's like, it's just such a good... It makes, it makes me feel good, and it's like a, such a positive... Uh, message to gay people too it's like you can rob from the mob <laughs> and end up okay yeah, yeah. uh and you get a it, brand new truck because i was thinking it. about that it's like we the villains in the movie are the mobsters but we're rooting for thieves essentially but then i was like oh they're robbing from the mob that's you know mm-hmm. that'll get you in trouble but as far as like immoral acts goes that's probably yeah forgivable yeah i was thinking about this too a little bit they um the Wachowskis, at least in this movie and The Matrix, uh-huh. uh, use Joe Pantoliano uh-huh. uh, as an actor as sort of like the an embodiment of the flaws of man, kind of. He was recommended to be inbound by one Gina Gershon. I saw that too! <laughs> and it's like... Changed both their careers. I know, right? Um, but yeah, I see what you mean. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's kind of got that weaselly sort of look to him. Yeah. And, uh, he just, in, you know, in The Matrix, he's the one that causes a lot of the, the team to die, and he's the one who betrays everybody. Yeah, and he like, sells them out to be, like, rich and famous inside The Matrix. Yeah, and he's sort of, like, he's the main villain in this movie, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and he's just, they, they use him really well as just, like, a failing the flaws, the flaws of man, because it's like there's a line that Jennifer Tilly says that I just love. It gives me goosebumps to think about it. Where she's like, "You murdered Gino." Yeah, you sure. You 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 made me. I I had to do that. Bullshit. You did it. You you did it because you couldn't stand the thought of Johnny fucking you. Shut up. Which yeah. is like a double entendre of like, you know, being homophobic, yeah, as well as like you can't stand the idea of being emasculated. Yeah. Or having this piece of shit, like, show you up. Yeah. So we discussed this a little bit when the gayish guys were over here, but for me, one of my tests, not not a litmus test, but just something I think about when watching, uh, you know, gay lesbian film, is does this storyline, could it be told with straight people? And uh, when the guys were over here, they were kind of talking about, and I don't remember which side you fell on, um about how they feel that it's important to have sort of normal, heteronormative stories with gay characters just for, like, the sake of exposure. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this movie kind of does both. Uh, So, like, the scene in the bar where Gina Gershon's in the bar, that could be, like, you replace Gina Gershon with any dude actor 
and he's just walking through a bar, like, looking for a lady. Yeah. Like, you, it'd be written the exact same. Sure. Uh, except for maybe the Cagney and Lacey line. But, <laughs> Which, uh, can I pause a real fast? Yeah. The woman that she hits on yeah. is friggin' Susie Bright. I don't know who that is. Who was my favorite uh, talking head from the celluloid closet. Oh, really? Yeah, and she chore- they brought her oh. on to choreograph all the lesbian sex scenes. Oh, okay. I know. Full circle. Wow. Okay. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Uh, so that scene, yeah, it, you could replace Jenny Gershon with, with a man, and essentially the scene would be the same. Mm-hmm. But when the scene when Violet's seducing Corky, and like they start making out on the floor, yeah. like after like the tattoo touching and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and uh, Caesar walks in, Joe Pantoliano, uh, he dismisses it. He thinks that something's funny going on, but then he sees that it's Gina Gershon, he's like, oh, sorry, my mind thought something, never mind. Yeah, because she looks masculine. Yeah. Uh, Gina Gershon does. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it required... That would not happen. Yeah, yeah, if it was a dude, like, he would have flown off the handle. Right. Like, it required it to be a woman in that scene. So this movie kind of does both. Like, it has both elements to it. You need... uh, And it also adds another layer, because then they're not just hiding cheating you know yeah. uh, an indiscretion but they're also hiding a homosexual indiscretion yeah so it's like you've got these two two things that they're they're nervous about being discovered on yeah um so i think it adds actually the fact that they are um lesbians and i read somewhere that uh there were a couple studios that passed on this because they were like well why don't we change if you change gina Gershon's character to a man then we'll, we'll green light this but the, the Wachowskis said no. They stood firm on it because they're like, we've seen that story a hundred times, yeah. you know? It also, it adds that level of humanity. Like, if it's just the guy and the girl trying to get together, it's not quite as romantic, I guess. This is like, they've both been like, I mean, I don't know if Jennifer Trump has been like harboring a secret, but Jennifer Tilly has. Yeah. And it's like, this is like their chance to finally like break free of it all mm-hmm. and lead the life that they want to lead. I like it. Jennifer Tilly does a really great job of uh, acting in that when Caesar is around or like the mob bosses are around, she kind of, um, she dresses more feminine. Mm-hmm. She kind of talks in a, in a higher voice. Mm-hmm. But then when she's with uh, Gina Gershon, when they're alone, she drops, she has a different kind of way she talks. And you see that mask fall off when she's tied up. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's finally like leveling with Caesar. Caesar, stop acting like an asshole and think. Violet, don't try to tell me what to do. You need the money just like we do. Shut up! Why don't you let us go? We'll make a deal. Shut the fuck up! And you can you just see when that falls off, it's like, this is me. Yeah. This has been me the whole time. You just don't know it, you know? Like, yeah. Because you're an idiot. You don't know shit, Caesar. It was so good. <laughs> Such a good line. Uh, so this might be revealing too much about my personal tastes, but... When it comes to adult films, I tend to like them with plot. Okay. And the beginning parts of this movie, when Jennifer Tilly is seducing Corky, it's like the plot parts of a porno, but like it's acted so well. It's hot. Yeah. Like it's got like you know who ordered the pizza with extra sausage. <laughs> it's got that feel to it. Like she comes over with like a couple cups of coffee. Totally. But for some reason, like, it's it's hot. Like, it's sexy. Mm-hmm. I am so in awe of people who can fix things. My dad was like that. They never had anything new. Whenever anything was broken, he would just open it up, tinker with it a little bit. 
fix it. His hands were magic. Like, that's so bad, but for some reason, like, in the context of the movie, it's hot. Yeah. Like, you're buying it. Like, you're getting seduced as well. That first scene where, uh, Gina Gershon, uh, gives Jennifer Tilly a, a finger banger, <laughs> um, that happens 15 minutes into the movie. <laughs> I looked. Because it was like, and that's funny because that's how, you, that's, that's our character establishment, right? Like yeah. that, that is all, that whole buildup is character establishment. And then when Joe Pantoliano comes on the scene, that's when we get conflict. You yeah. Because they're like, there really isn't any up until that point. Yeah, that's true. And um, that's nice, actually. I like, because it's like, we're building this, they start off with this like, oh, are they flirting? I'm not, t- it seems like they're flirting. And then we get that whole 15 minutes of porn dialogue. Yeah. And then it's like, oh yeah, here we go. So let's, this is what it is. And then we get the conflict when he comes in. I also like, because Jennifer Tilly is like the girly girl. Right. And Jamie Gershon's the butch one. Right. Uh, but when it actually gets to the sex scene, Jennifer Tilly's like the one in control in it. Totes. And I like that dynamic that, you know, just because she's feminine doesn't mean that she's, does, doesn't necessarily infer that she's submissive as well. Totally. Uh, they really play with that. Uh, well, yeah, just like identity and and, and th- that might be Susie Bright's input, but I also feel like knowing that you know this was the Wachowski brothers making this, like that's who right. it's credited to, and you could see it as just sort of like male fantasy a little bit, but knowing that they both now identify as women, mm-hmm. I feel like this is really more telling into like their own like psychology and like their own like sense of like eroticism and sexuality, sure, yeah, that like. It, it's still, like, sort of, you know, uh, uh, fantasy, but it, it's different knowing that they now both identify as women. Yeah. It, it, it's just telling as to what they actually found sexy. Like, it's not necessarily, like, a male fantasy. It's, like, an actual sexual fantasy. Yeah. And they, uh, that's sort of a, just a theme in general, you know, throughout their movies. I saw a, uh, an interpretation of The Matrix that was, like... Um, you could look at Neo as being a trans person. Right? Oh, okay. or Mister S- or Agent Smith refers always refers to him as Mister Anderson, mm-hmm. and then he's like, you know, finally just like call me Neo. Mm. That's my name. That's who I am. Mm. And so you can kind of go back, and I, I would say to this in this movie too, and see uh, them like these movies are all about are are about that kind of you know a, a trans person wanting to come out or like discovering themselves these things in themselves um and good on them yeah that's that's i mean and you see it in cloud atlas that in like the grand scheme of things it's like age gender race like is sort of irrelevant right who you really are transcends all those properties totally yeah i don't know if that revealed too much about my preferences in adult entertainment no i actually i mean i was I was turned on. It mean, and it's like, I don't, I'm not a big, like, not really huge on watching Lady on Lady Sex. Um, <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. But um, it was hot. And, then, yeah. and I like the idea of them together. Yeah. At the end, the last scene where they're getting in the pickup truck together, Jennifer Tilly's like wearing uh, jeans again. Mm, it's just mm-hmm. like a little more, oh, now I'm comfortable. And I like, I just like the idea of the two of them, like, Get in the house Lesson together. It <laughs> yeah, it's like, I want to hang out with you guys. You seem really cool. Yeah. There's one scene, it's it's outside the apartment. It's right when, uh, right after they first bang, 
and Corky's getting out of her truck. Mm-hmm. And the song that's playing, I don't, it's like a uh, Ray Charles song, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, it's like, let me tell you about a girl I know. <laughs> and just like the way like she gets out of the truck and she slams the door shut and she just stands there for a second, totally satisfied with herself. Like, she's just got this relaxed air mm-hmm. and she's just content. <laughs> and I just love it because like, the whole movie, it's like, you know, it's shot a certain way. There's a tone, like, it's only... A score, no, you know, soundtrack necessarily, and we get this, and it's just kind of this like happy, relaxed song, (laughs) and she's just looking happy and relaxed. (laughs) It's a good contrast to say to like show that like, you know, air has been cleared now. It's a new day. (laughs) (laughs) I like. I want to. Yeah, I guess I should speak to this. Uh, We we picked this movie in in uh, for a Gershonathon. Yeah. And um, there is a big block of this where she is absent. Yeah, um, once the heist kind of starts, like, she's in the other apartment, not doing a whole lot. Yeah, just waiting, basically. Yeah. A lot of waiting. Um, and normally, when I'm watching a Gina Gershon movie, I'm, I'm just like, well, when is she going to come back? <laughs> you know, like, I wish the other characters were talking. Like, when is Gina Gershon? <laughs> hey, why isn't Gina Gershon in this scene? Um, but I didn't in this one. I really feel like Jennifer Tilly carries this movie a little, a little more. I do feel like she's pretty underappreciated as, like, an actress as a whole. Like, she really can, like, she's got screen presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she can carry a scene by herself. Yeah, and she can act. Yeah. Like, I, I re- like I mentioned earlier, just the little touches she does with the way she talks and the way she moves. It's a, su- it's subtle. Yeah. But, um, it's well done. And when she was trying to seduce Corky, just the way that she does it, just like, you know, lateral steps, Mm -hmm. uh, just little things like that. Like, she really knows how to play the seductress quite well. Yeah. Uh, And she knows how to, like, go from, like, girly to, you know, neutral in the snap. Like, there's a scene where she's calling in the elevator when she's, like, calling the mobster. Mickey. Oh, God, Mickey. You made me do it. I was so afraid. I didn't want to make you with Caesar. All Caesar, you made me help him. You have to help me. Oh God! Oh God! He's coming. She hangs up and she's just stone faced. Yeah, I love that. That's such a that's such a good trick. <laughs> uh, yeah, the there's just a strong dynamic. I like it because these, you know, Jennifer Tilly, Jan Gershon, Joe Pantoliano, they're not necessarily like names that like carry like a lot of uh uh weight or star power yeah but they're all really good yeah it's like they're all great actors you know jennifer tilly has been nominated for academy award Mm -hmm. uh jenny gershon has won uh best actress of my heart (laughs) uh and then joe pantliano had a long recurring role in the sopranos oh okay uh he's a fantastic actor he is a great actor He's, like, he's really good, and he, he, I think he gets a little typecast as the Weasley, squirrely guy, mainly because of how he looks. Which is how he was in The Sopranos, Yeah, too. and I mean, like, whatever, he's embracing it. He brings nuance to it. Yeah. Um, uh, but he's he's quality. To go back to, like, the color scheme again, mm. it's like, so the whole movie, you know, we get, even, like, the gin they drink is Tanqueray in a green bottle oh, that has, yeah. like, the red, like, melted wax label oh, on yeah, it. Oh, good point. Um... 
Did you notice that at the party yesterday, and that's why you're bringing this up now? No, I oh. noticed it in the movie. Like, all the bottles of liquor were green in that movie. Oh, yeah, Jameson is a green bottle, yeah. Uh, and Glenn Levitt. Yeah. Um, and then you have Tanqueray. And it is, it's that attention to detail. Christopher Maloney's suit was red. Corky's truck, oh, the yeah. old and the new, were both red. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, uh, the phone in Violet's apartment was... Red, the phone in Corky's apartment was black. Right. Uh, the paint that she uses is just like a big white. white. Which, oh, and by the way. he's green. Who would have thought that a gun spinning through spilled paint. This looks so good. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's just a cool visual thing on its own. Like, they didn't have to do any it's tricks. It's like a Jackson Pollock in motion. Yeah, and we get, to, it's just like. That's just a neat thing to see, and in general, and it's like, yeah, put that on film. Like I never seen that before, yeah, and I or since that I can remember. It, yeah, and like the big climax, we get a bunch of white, yeah, uh, some black, and then splatters of red. Right, like it, like even the climax of the movie adheres strongly to that color coding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't feel forced. It feels no, natural and and just it, it doesn't great. feel forced at all. Uh, and I, the, you know, in the way the movie runs, like you, it has these great visuals. The beginning of it is like you know the, the erotic part of our erotic thriller, <laughs> uh-huh. but then the heist part is also great. Yeah, it really and it keeps that tension running. It really does, and it does. Even though like these are like totally played out Hollywood tricks, like at the last minute the phone rings or like yeah. someone knocks at the door. Like yeah. for some reason, I don't see them coming in this movie. Like, they, when they come, it's like, oh, God, th- like, thank you. Yeah. I, I tend to get uh, tension fatigue in mm-hmm. movies a lot of times, where it's like, I need a break, I, otherwise I, I can't. You mentioned that about James Cameron movies. Yeah, and so this one, I didn't get that, but now looking, I didn't even realize it until now, but looking back on it, that's a large portion that is just tension-ridden, but yeah. doesn't isn't exhausting. Right. You know, like, you actually... I, they give it a nice like ebb and flow that allows you to kind of relax a few times and then like amps it up again. Yeah, it really shows their talent as screenwriters as well as directors. Like, yeah. They have a sense of flow to their stories. They know how to write, you know, tension and release and relax and all that good stuff that yeah. you need. It's not just one mode, it's not just all forward momentum. Like I don't want to say lulls because that makes it sound like it's boring but there is space to breathe yeah and this and yeah this movie needs it <laughs> yeah because otherwise it's like once the heist gets underway you would just be at 10 the whole time and you yeah. can't you can't i mean james cameron can do it and it's good but it's exhausting yeah <laughs> and it's like it's nice when they can kind of give you a little up and down there one thing i wanted to mention is that this movie won the glad award for the best oh. uh picture that's good. Yeah. I like that. that. Year. I think that that was a good choice because there was also The Birdcage that year was nominated. Uh, oh, and, okay. Uh, which is, you know, which seems like the front runner, which you think would win. You'd like, think that that'd be like the critical darling, definitely. Yeah. But no, this one, this is the one that the, they're like, you know, actually... I mean, I do like The Birdcage. I like, do too, yeah. I, I don't want to like slight The Birdcage by saying that Bound beat it out, but uh, I am happier that Bound won it. Yeah, this is a fantastic movie, and I um, am happy to eat my plate of crow <laughs> in front of you and the entire podcast audience, because uh, I loved it, and I'm really glad we watched it. Okay.
centric movies just mm -hmm. in general mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of it is because with movies that star men there's only so much to move on the masculinity scale a good example of a well-written female role I guess would be Ripley in Aliens okay where it's she's shooting guns she's being a badass but like a lot of it is motivated by her like sense of like motherhood, motherhood. Mm -hmm. totally uh like, she does all this stuff without sacrificing, like, her nurturing sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and that movie wouldn't work as well if uh, that was a male character. No. Like, mm -hmm. and maybe it's just because of our society that, like, men aren't allowed to, like, go into, like, nurturing and sensitive. Mm -hmm. uh, but I always feel that, like, female-centric films can have a greater sense of character arc because when they're written well, they can go really anywhere on, like, the masculine-feminine spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like, they can go all the way to one end and all the way to the other. And if it's written well, like, we accept it. But, like, male characters, like, they're strictly on, like, the masculine side of that spectrum. Like, they yeah. can't really become too feminine and have, like, an audience really accept it. I feel like we're s slowly trying to chip away at that, but it's taking a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Uh, and also, I think this kind of speaks to what uh, Armistead Mopan said at the end of the Cellular Closet, where it's like, Hollywood would be, would be able to make us cry and laugh more if they would just acknowledge the breadth of human experience. And yeah. that means having interesting leading ladies, you yeah. know, like write these interesting female parts. Because we, throughout the history of Hollywood, we've seen so few, it feels like, you know? Um, and whenever one does come up, you know, it's everyone's like, oh my god, this was great. So it's like... Maybe focus on that. <laughs> um, the comedian uh, Louis Vertel tweeted the other day. He's like, "Can is like some sort of bizarro Academy Awards where uh, movies with women win them." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're getting there. I think. Hopefully. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I was shocked. Probably was it two? I guess it would have just been last year. Uh, not the most recent Academy Awards, but the one before that. Okay. Carol was nominated for a lot, but won zero. Right. And I was really shocked at that. Yeah, because that's a great movie. It's a great movie, and both of them are great. I mean, Kate Blanchett alone, you think, would be enough, like, powerhouse to, like, get... But I guess she did win for her last nomination, uh, Blue Jasmine. Oh, so she can only win once? Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, like, another great, like, female-centric movie, but it's, like, the only award. And maybe it's because, like, Woody Allen, they can't praise him too much yeah <laughs> uh you know they're only allowed to like give the awards for actors and actresses yeah and as much as i like birdman it was not deserving of best picture no i think the revenant is a much better movie i also think the revenant is a much better movie and i hate maybe i just have jupiter ascending still in my mouth <laughs> but the fact that eddie eddie remain won for theory of everything over Michael Keaton and Birdman. Like, I'm still, like, flipping over tables in anger because of that. Um, well, you know, he had to... 
twist up his hands and move his jaw over here. I was going to say, uh, the Academy loves handicapped <laughs> people. Physical, physical differences. They're all about it. And dead celebrities. Like, if you're playing, yeah, handicap or, and so if you're playing a dead celebrity with a handicap, like, that's a guaranteed win. Oh my god, yeah. Or a, a movie, if you're in a movie that's about Hollywood. Oh yeah, it's La like, La Land. Ding. <laughs> yeah. The artist. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I, I still haven't seen La La Land, but I don't think I know a single person that I know personally that loved it. I Everyone said it was fine. Yeah, it was good, it but... What's his name? Benjamin R. Harrison uh, made a really interesting point about that movie. Oh, yeah? Uh, recently, where he said, like, I'm not... Yeah, the movie may be fine and great, but it's like, if you're getting a movie from a director who's had nothing but success his whole life, is white, straight, cis, uh, all that, it's like, that story is just not going to be... I'm not as interested in hearing that story. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about that recently. Yeah. And like, there's a part of me that's like, well, is that like reverse discrimination in a way, but... No, it's true. It's like we've seen we've like straight how... white men have had a good run. Yeah, and I <laughs> like, if we gotta slight them for a couple of years for the sake of equality, I will sleep just fine at night. Yeah, well, and just like yeah, the idea of I'm really not that interested in hearing what somebody who's who's had nothing but success his whole career has to say as much. You know, oh, like, your life has been one unbroken boulevard of green lights oh my god let me know your story yeah <laughs> sounds like some real struggle you've been through well grab my kleenexes now <laughs> yeah and that doesn't mean the movie's bad i'm not saying yeah. like this movie sucks i'm just saying i'm less interested in hearing what it, you have to say it's not like cis white men can't write a good story but mm. uh i don't know there's just there's so much variety in the tapestry of life that seeing like that perspective over and over and over again is tiresome yeah uh which i i think is why like i'll always sort of be interested in like what the wakowskis do because their life their personal life is sort of interesting and to see it to see threads of it mirrored in their movies is yeah. interesting too. They always, and uh, I really respond to a theme of uh, rebellion. Yeah. Which is uh, just all over there. In movies. my nature, yeah. And they, uh, that's always there in, in every movie they've made. Um, I would love to see their version of Rent. Because, <laughs> like, when I watch Rent, I'm like, get a job, you hippie. <laughs> but I feel like if the Wachowskis did it, I would totally be on the side of the Yeah, they're, they're against, like, the big landlord. That's yeah. A... <laughs> good on you, Wachowskis. Uh, good on you, Joe Pantoliano. Good on you, Jennifer Don't Tilly. T and good on you, Gina. <laughs> MVP, Gina Gershon. Mm, love that woman. You mentioned earlier the grand tapestry of life. Yeah. Um, it reminds me that um, tapestries are made of cloth. <laughs> you know what else is made of cloth? Clothing. Clothes. Yeah. Specifically, fashion. <laughs> well, Ryan, interesting you should bring this up, as it's a perfect segue into our next film. What? Well, that couldn't have been planned or hopelessly <laughs> cobbled together. <laughs> um... Which brings us to our second feature film of the night. 
House of Versailles. <laughs> Thanks. I bought it at Versailles. So, <laughs> this is the first time we've gone in blind. <laughs> the, yeah, th- we should mention that this is the first time that neither of us have seen an X-rated movie. Uh, I guess before we get into the film itself, what made you want to choose this one? I'm, I'm, this isn't, I know I have a, a history of throwing you under the bus when these movies go awry. I'm taking credit. I'll take credit. Which, and I, I'll say right now, this isn't me throwing you under the bus, but you genuinely wanted to watch this. <laughs> I can explain in five words. Gina Gershon is in this. <laughs> Close. Gina Gershon as Donatella Versace. Okay. <laughs> Boom. What else do you need? Yeah. Uh, so, watching this, I realized that, A, I was pretty young when uh, Gianni Versace was killed. Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of forgotten a lot of the details. Yeah, I forgot it. that... Uh, I, I was thinking, watching it this time, that it was his lover that had done it. Oh, first. okay. I forgot that it was like a serial killer situation. See, I... F- like, for whatever reason, like, it's been so many years since I'd really put any thought into it that I thought that he just died of AIDS. Oh, wow. Just, I was like, he's gay. It's gonna be AIDS. Probable. <laughs> uh, so I forgot that he was murdered. Yeah. Uh, in such, like, a random way as well. Yeah. Uh, and the, it'd be so hard to get closure because it, it seemed like it was a random killing, but then the serial killer committed suicide before they could get any answers out of him. I'd forgotten how close it was to Princess dies right death. she died like a month later or something yeah like that was crazy yeah um so before we get into it i want to say that this movie might be worse than what i saw <laughs> because i actually think fashion is an interesting art form totally when it comes to like trashy reality shows i always hold a special place in my heart for project runway me too yeah because i think that these designers are actually talented, like, scrappy individuals who have, like, a sense of, like, color and design. And, like, really, they do it all themselves, at least on Project Runway. I know yeah. that Versace has, like, a team of artisans working for them, but... And know, if you gave me, like, a bunch of cloth and some buttons and some zippers and some thread and oh, said, I'd make never, something... I'd never... Be, I'd die. I'd make a pillowcase, you know? <laughs> like, I couldn't... I don't know. I yeah. couldn't even begin to do that. Yeah, so, yeah, the idea that people can, like, take strands of, like, cloth and fabric and turn it into something great, like... Yeah. And me, they design the fabrics, or at least they were talking about yeah. that in this movie, that they're actually designing what these fabrics are going to look like. Uh, so part of it is that when, like, the fashion got good, like, that kind of drew me into the movie a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, I th- yeah, Project Runway, I thought, was a great show. I like watching creative people uh, problem-solve. Okay. And, like, I think fashion is a great is great for the TV part of this reality show because, like, you can actually judge um, based on what you're seeing. Okay. You know, like, you've got... Uh, you can you can say design. You can say how it's made. Um, you can get, like, Heidi's take, which is, will I buy that? <laughs> and then you've got, like, your guest judge, which is always the wild card. But yeah. um, it's a great example of something that can be judged based on criteria. Um Plus, a little je ne sais quoi. Sure, sure. Just like our leading lady. <laughs> she's, a, she's, a, she's an actress. Yeah. She's, uh, you can judge her on her, you know, quality in the uh, line reading department, <laughs> in the physicality. Sure. And then, uh, does she have that je ne sais quoi? Oh, yeah, she does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, 
In terms of trying to find out exactly what makes Gina Gershon so near and dear to our hearts, I actually feel that it's more apparent here than it was in Bound. Yeah. Because she's she's in every scene in this movie. Is she in every scene? There's one scene where she wasn't in where I was feeling like, why isn't she in this scene? (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's the most apparent when it's her opposite Raquel Welch. Because Raquel Welch was like a bombshell back in her day. I mean, she still looks good. I thought, I it, it for like large portions of the movie, I was like, is this her mother or her sister? I couldn't figure out what Raquel either. Welch is like at least twenty years older than Gina Gershon. Yeah, who is she? Who is she playing in the movie? It's like never it, clear. It, They're just like it's Gina. her sister. That's her sister. Yes, mm. because they the the kids refer to her as Aunt Lucia. Oh, okay, I didn't catch that. Um. Yeah, I think they only do it, like, twice in the whole movie. Okay. But I'm like, Raquel Welch was, like, what was it, Fantastic Voyage or something? Oh, like, God, in, like, the know. mid-70s? Yeah. So I'm thinking, like, Raquel Welch, she's been in show business for a million years, but when they put her opposite Gina Gershon, like, she looks so stale. Like, her acting was so rigid. Stiff, yeah. And Gina Gershon, she's animated, but she's not over-animated. Mm-hmm. And she knows, like, she's sinking her teeth into, and she like she's chewing on the scenery, but she's not hamming it up. Yeah, I was, I, I was wondering if I felt this was ham and cheese or not. And I, well, I Lifetime know. movie about Donatella Versace, like, it's sort of asking to like go overboard a little bit. She kind of walks that line, uh, and I don't think she necessarily looked the part. <laughs> they gave her a wig. I looked up what Donatello Versace looked like later and was like, whoa. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Like the wig, whatever. Uh, Donatello Versace in real life looks like um, that one Muppet that, uh, with the big... From the band? Yeah. I can't remember The chick in the band from the, in the Muppets? Yeah, yeah, the one who's like this. Yeah. Look, buddy, I don't take my clothes off for anyone, even if it is artistic. Yeah, no, I see it now. <laughs> um, they didn't quite get there with, with Gina. But, no. Um, so, like, there's failings, like, I don't know the name of the actor who played uh, Gianni. Uh, all I know is he's from Just Shoot Me. <laughs> but he did not sell that accent. <laughs> I was like, this, like, a nation, a, a nation of graveyards are having people roll over in them <laughs> because this accent is so bad. This movie was actually banned in Italy because <laughs> Italian people were so outraged about it. Uh, no. But this movie... Okay, so yeah, this movie is not perfect. Let's be honest. It's a, it's a made-for-TV movie. Lifetime. Uh, made lifetime made-for-TV yeah. movie. Uh, I will say... So, it's... I mean, it's kind of automatically garbage, right? But, yeah. like, I will say this is watchable garbage. Oh, I very felt. watchable. Definitely. And um, I went into it with low expectations and was actually kind of pleasantly surprised. Uh, oh, yeah. I went into it, like, bracing myself. <laughs> and... At some point, maybe like 15, 20 minutes in, I'm like, I think I'm liking this more than I really should be. Yeah. Uh, and part of it is Gina Gershon. Like, she's not phoning it in. This She's not treating it like a paycheck. She's still treating this like work. Yeah. Which, and and I, I feel like it's just most apparent in the scenes with Raquel Watch because for her, either she cannot act or this is just a paycheck for her. Yeah. And it, it's, it's really apparent. Gina Gershon is up there and she's acting and she's still like giving it her all. Mm -hmm. And you know, some actors might see a made for TV movie as being beneath them. 
but I never get that sense. Like, I never get the, the sense that Gina's, like, in this feeling that she's above this. Yeah, or... there's a couple of scenes where I was really impressed with her acting, actually. There's one specifically where um, she's fighting with Gianni. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're the moon, I'm the sun. Oh, your job and is to reflect. My glow. And she yeah. goes, oh, your glow? Oh, his glow. You're a tired old queen. And if I hadn't quit school to come to help you, you would be Gianni Versace, the best-dressed costumer at the opera house in Reggio Calabria. And I was just like, ooh, good job. She sells it. And then there was another one I, where she... She totally overshadowed... What's his face playing? Jimmy? Everyone in this movie, like she is, she's freaking Atlas carrying this movie. <laughs> like there, let's be honest. There's just like even this is a chance. Let's say that this is a movie for a costume designer to really shine. Yeah, and I can't. Rem- I can remember maybe two outfits from it, and it's like that. If anything was going to o- overshadow any part of this movie, or could have overshadowed like her performance, it could have been the fashion. Yeah. And unfortunately, I feel like they kind of got a, a real airsats fashion <laughs> or costume designer. For there this. was a couple times where, like, so there was the opening runway shot, and I was like, oh, some of these dresses are pretty cool. They were probably actual like Versace dresses. Yeah, or, or or at least like close knockoffs. Passable knockoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a scene before Gianni's death. Where he's like looking at uh, one of the dresses on a mannequin, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I hate these sleeves." And she comes up and she just rips it off. That sleeve took two days to figure out. <laughs> but I love it. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. <laughs> and when they show the dress, I was like. Actually, that did help. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that actually looks kind of good now. Yeah. I mean, okay, so this is always a question I have with, you know, biopics like this. Is like, biopic. Biopic. It looks like biopic, though. Yeah. Is this, like, how how true to life do you think this is of Donatella Versace? So, I, when, I, when I sort of looked up, because I really didn't know that much about her going into the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Me neither. So I looked up some stuff, and the movie didn't quite... I don't know if it was necessarily if they didn't capture Donatella's essence, Uh but I know that they kind of garbled some of the facts. Okay. So after Gianni's death and Donatella takes over, they presented, like, the company was just, like, in this steady decline to ruin uh, before, like, she went to rehab and, like, redeemed herself. Yeah, yeah. Because I looked it up, and apparently, like, the the blue-green dress that Jennifer Lopez right. wore, that was in 2000. Oh. That's, like, three years after Gianni was... was yeah, so, like, that means that, like, Donatella was overseeing that dress. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I'm not saying that they didn't hit, like, financial hard times, or that it wasn't mismanaged for, like, a number of years, mm-hmm. or that they, yeah, didn't have financial hardships, but they definitely presented, like there was a huge fall from grace where like seven years they were just like off the map before this redemption. Yeah. Uh, but to know that, that like, yeah, three years after Gianni's death that they came up with, yeah, the Jennifer Lopez dress that like, with a plunging neckline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, Oh no, like they still had like strong word of mouth. Yeah. You know, several years after his death. I like, I like at the very beginning, the first, my first note for this movie was, uh, 
Gina Grishana is done a telesaint. Mm, well, I'm sure Armani would put her in sandals. Who cares? His dresses look like last week's ciabatta. So let him dress the wives and the virgins. We dress the mistress. Mistresses wear heels. No heels. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then that comes, that's a theme throughout this movie where it's like, apparently that's what everybody says at first watch while they're designing is like, Think of the mistress. You know, not we're not looking. Let Armani design for the wife. Yeah. We're designing for the mistress. Yeah, because she says, and this was before Gianni's death too. Like she goes up to someone, and uh, he's handling some shoes, and she's like, "Hey, it takes a sexy man to make a sexy shoe." <laughs> I do my best. Wow. Why don't you bring a pair home to your wife? Hmm? But if your mistress wants a pair, she has to buy them. Huh? <laughs> That's just like, I mean, <laughs> it's not great character development. No. Or, uh, but it did like, it really kind of paints what the brand of Versace is. Kind yeah. Of, where you're like, hmm, okay, that's real shorthand for we make slutty dresses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> This might be going too far ahead, but so Donatella like only wore heels. I guess. After she gets out of rehab, I guess she stopped wearing heels. Yeah, or she had to stop wearing heels at rehab, I think. Yeah, and she said... Oh my god. Giving up my heels was harder than giving up cocaine. I wrote that one down too. (laughs) Uh, But that she never wears sandals. Yeah. Those are verboten for her. That Even in like the little post-lude in the movie, it's like, she still never wears sandals. That's right. (laughs) Which I'm like, why are people hating on sandals? Like, <laughs> aren't they just like flat heeled high heels? <laughs> yeah, they're freeing. I mean, I don't know. The uh, while we're at while we're talking about the end of the movie, um, this movie had something that I hate so much. Yeah, which is like at the end, there's like a montage of memories of the movie that we've just watched. <laughs> Drives me up the wall. Remember the last hour and a half you've spent with the TV? <laughs> let's let's think about that. Mm, yeah, that was nice. So when you're watching a television show and it's like the last episode of the series, when they do, you know, when they play Green Day's Good Riddance and like show you clips <laughs> from throughout the season, do you hate that or is it like is it justified in that scenario? No, I hate it. <laughs> Actually, if it's a series that's, you know, like, been on the air for seven seasons or something, maybe that's a little more justified. Yeah. But when I've only spent an hour and a half with these characters with commercial breaks, Uh it's like, I don't need to reminisce about the last two hours that I've had. What if the reminiscing featured the commercials? Yeah. Remember these products you thought about buying? (laughs) Remember while you were peeing? They put the commercials (laughs) in in the montage. I uh, I actually wrote that. I was like, thank God we didn't have to watch this with commercials because I think I would have, mm. my interest really would have waned. Yeah. Um, did you notice, and this is kind of meta, There, there's a lot of TV watching on this. Is there? Yeah, like the mommy, mommy-daughter time that she spends with Allegra is a lot of times just them sitting on the couch watching TV. Oh, they turn yeah. on the TV to get news, which I guess is something you did in, you know, those days. But... Um, it was just, uh, I just felt like there was a lot of times where they're sitting on a couch watching TV. It's like... While they're in their gorgeous mansion in Milan. Yeah. I wonder what's on the boob tube. <laughs> Something tells me they're not going to be sitting around watching a lot of TV. Well, this was 96, 97, you know. They had to catch the 
Friends or the Seinfeld finale. <laughs> There's big television events back then. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Or maybe they're just looking to see if any of their clothes made it onto yeah. um, Law and Order or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Night Court. <laughs> Oh, look, one of the hookers in Night Court's wearing our... <laughs> oh, his judge's robe is yeah. a Versace. I remember when Gianni designed that. He wanted to make it blue. I said, no, judges only wear black. We thought the heels were a bit much, but it comes off well on television. <laughs> this movie also, especially in the first act, mm-hmm. suffers from restless camera syndrome. Did you notice that? Kind of. Or it was just like in constant motion. It was yeah. either moving to the left or, or moving around the character slowly, but enough so that the background was constantly moving. I yeah. felt like seasick after a while. I was like, just stop the camera. And they did once Gianni died, but like that first that first act was like, ah, getting seasick. Just let it stop. Yeah, it's funny because I know that movies aren't filmed sequentially, mm-hmm. but sometimes they feel like they are. Mm-hmm. It, they'll be like everyone's on board for like the first 20 minutes of it even though like the first 20 minutes could have been filmed at radically different times yeah but this is one of those where it's like the first act feels like everyone was on set the same day and yeah. had like the same <laughs> they filmed it in one day yeah <laughs> like yeah the whole first act and then the rest of the movie was filmed at like a different period in time yeah uh, I mean it, maybe it was because after Gianni's death like that actor maybe they filmed all him while he was on break from Just Shoot Me or something. Sure, sure, sure. I'm sure the Project Runway's still on, so is Just Shoot Me. That was a fashion magazine that they, in Just Shoot Me, right? Yeah, yeah. And that uh, the dude was like the fashion photographer or something, I think. I get Just Shoot Me and News Radio conflated in my brain. Well, one has Andy Dick. News Radio. Yeah. All right. And one has Phil Hartman. News radio? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and one has one of the dudes from Kids in the Hall. News radio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other Dave one. Foley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other has other people. <laughs> Paul Reiser? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm thinking not about you. <laughs> I'm not up on my must-see TV. <laughs> Your mid-90s must-see TV. Yeah. <laughs> oh. To hit the Wikipedia page. Wouldn't it be funny if when Gianni's watching television, he's watching an episode of Just Shoot Me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put the audience booing one on that. <laughs> I think he watches TV at one point in this movie, too, where it's just like, are they, uh, is, is this what Lifetime's way of being like, it's okay that you just sit and watch TV? Look, celebrities do it yeah, just like us. Maybe. They're just like you. Little, little inception there. Don't turn off the TV. <laughs> uh, there's a really great line that uh, Gina or Donatella Versace has right after she's um, after Gianni's died, and she's like, "Got to take care of everything." And she goes, "How am I going to make it through this day?" And then she pulls out the cocaine, and it's like, "Oh, oh yeah, nose drugs." <laughs> How, and then pills, too. I think she's just, like, yeah. kind of balancing herself out. Yeah, there's definitely, like, a scene where it's, like, they show her downing a handful of pills with some red wine. Which, hey. It's Italy. <laughs> or Miami. Can't really tell. I think... No, Donatello never left Italy, didn't... I thought only Johnny went to Miami. Oh. Oh, I don't know. Oh. 
They kind of have a lot of establishing shots in various yeah. cities around the globe. Which I'm sure none of they were actually filmed in. <laughs> yeah, probably not. This is a sound... Actually, at the end, I watched till the end of the credits. Oh, really? Um, a lot of it was filmed in Canada. <laughs> so, it's cheaper. So, this is kind of a stupid thing, but I'm going to bring it in anyway. Yeah. I was researching just about Donatella Versace in general, mm-hmm. and she's a known user of something called the power plate. Okay. Which is like a workout thing uh that actually like vibrates in a sine wave so you're just kind of like it just it's supposed to make your muscles work harder while you're using it and i just wish we could have gotten like one scene delivering lines while on that thing being like uh, and i want to <laughs> use <I> a stutter <laughs> go with the periwinkle <laughs> well actually don't tell you you did stutter because you're on that thing shaking <laughs> I wrote down, did I stutter too? Because she says that with yeah. the canary yellow dread. <laughs> Make one in canary yellow. I'd like 25 copies on goldenrod. Right. Um, 25 on canary. Canary. 25 on saffron. Mm-hmm. And 25 on paella. Okay, 100 yellow. Oh, this is another really silly detail. But, um, okay, so in the first act, there's this interview that, like, some TV people come in to do of, of Donatella and Gianni. Yeah. And then once the interview is concluded... <laughs> like, conveniently, the whole the whole video production crew just leaves their stuff, like sets down the <laughs> equipment in the room, and then walks out. I just I wrote that down because like I saw the sound guy take his boom stand and then just like set it down and then walk out. I was like, that's expensive equipment. Just leaving it there. I liked the way that they depicted Giant Dantella's relationship as being like fiery but close yeah because like donatella would like she was like in the club doing that interview with like vanity fair or vogue or something like that and says like oh well johnny's a genius you know yeah. everything he does is fantastic i'm just there as like a muse or like a, you know whatever and then like they'd get into a fight and they'd hate each other yeah and then they'd get over it and then be like you're the genius yeah. you know i couldn't do this without you and I really like that sort of fiery dynamic. It, it kind of sold it on me. I'm like, okay, this was like, it it, it was draining, certainly. Yeah. Like I bought their dynamic in this. Actually. Yeah. Like it. Um. He was. He had some accent trouble, but I mean, most of the cast did. Let's be honest. Oh yeah. Um. But uh, I bought it. I bought that they were. They had like kind of a love hate scene going. Fiery is probably a better word. Yeah. Right? Um. And it's such a shame that uh, he didn't write his will on one of the um, happier times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just, I don't for some reason, it made me understand a little bit more. I'm like, okay, this is how it worked. It was like, he comes up with the product, she fine-tunes it, mm-hmm. and then, like, that's what goes out on the runway. Uh, and it also made me realize, like, okay, yeah, you take one half of this away, and it's a big fucking deal. Yeah. Uh or maybe it's not, if she made that blue-green dress for Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I would have liked that scene. So I had to look up, because they mentioned uh, at one point, they're like, we'll give this dress to Elizabeth Hurley. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like, Elizabeth Hurley is just a relic from the 90s. Like, <laughs> I can't, like sorry, Liz. What have like, you done lately, Liz? <laughs> uh, and I looked it up, apparently, and this shows how out of the loop I am, but it's the, uh, Versace designed a dress for Elizabeth Hurley. Okay. And it is known as that dress. Like, if you Google that oh. dress, it comes up. And it's a black dress that had, like, 
gold straps like on the rib like under the arms okay and she wore it to like the 1994 academy awards like escorted by hugh grant okay like it's a black cocktail dress that looks like it's been cut in half with like gold stitches holding it together Mm, okay um so yeah it's kind of slutty okay but you know it made a splash yeah i mean i like a slutty dress (laughs) (laughs) well i can tell from what you're wearing (laughs) Uh, and then the Jennifer Lopez blue-green dress was super slutty. Like, oh, yeah. That was just enough to, to cover the bare essentials. I was looking at pictures of her in it uh, after watching this, and I was just thinking how uncomfortable I would feel wearing something like that. Like, her boobs, they're, they must be taped in. They were. I remember okay. seeing like uh, like something on either VH1 or MTV that was like, there had to have been because otherwise they would just be flopping all over yeah just popping out left and right yeah definitely um but that that's got that's a warm weather dress you <laughs> can't, can't wear that in less than 73 didn't degrees. matt star trey parker wear that dress at like a different award <gasps> what i think like the next year or later that year i love it one of them wore that exact same dress because so part of me is like I know that it's, like, a burden that, like, women are expected to dress up for these things. Totally. But part of me wishes that guys had a little bit more breathing room. Like, <laughs> can't we find, like, a happy medium? Like, can't women wear just, like, a tasteful, like, black dress and, like, have that be the standard? Like, yeah. why why do they need to be dressed up? And, like, why do guys always just have to wear a tuxedo? Like, right. can't they wear something outlandish and, like, it be, like, somewhat acceptable? Like, yeah. can't we mix and match here a little bit? Well, and while we're at it, why can't a man wear a dress? Is that my dresses? I buy them. <laughs> Iggy Pop did it at one of the MTV Music Video Awards. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any problems with that. If they look good in it, go for it. Uh, what did, uh, who's the guy from Jane's Addiction? Uh, Perry Farrell. Perry Farrell. I remember at an MTV, like, Music Video Award, he was wearing, uh, like, women's pants and jacket, and mm-hmm. he goes, well, I'm skinny enough, so I can. Mm-hmm. And, like, he looked at the camera and he goes, guys, if you're skinny enough, buy women's clothing, because otherwise you're just going to get stuck with tweed. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, I've worn women's pants. I can fit in those. You got the hips for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm wearing a dress right now. So. <laughs> it's a tasteful cocktail dress. Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to dress up for our for, for, for the For the Versace. Yeah. Is this the Versace? <laughs> this is actually an outfit that she wore, that Gina Gershon wore in Showgirls. Um, not she wore it's the same, you know. Same designer, same design. It's a knockoff. Okay, fine. It's a it's a Bursace. A Pruda. <laughs> this I mean, you, there's there's worse ways to waste your an hour and a half of your life than watching this movie. Yeah. I mean, the beginning fashion was fine, and I th- even think like the post rehab fashion when she was, like, designing clothes for real women. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Some of these dresses are pretty nice. Yeah. Like, I can definitely see why these would be a hit. Those were not professional models that they got, though. Not that second time. I feel like... Not that I feel time. like there's there almost must have been, like, a competition on Lifetime to be, like, be in a fashion movie. And there like... was one black model who was wearing, like, an orange dress in the second runway. Yeah. I was like, gosh, she looks good she in that dress. Good. That was good. I was like, man... Yeah, if she was a professional model, she should have been. Yeah. But there were some girls who um, no. No, were not professional models. In, in the first fashion show after Gianni died, mm-hmm. I swear to God, they're like, oh my 
they're trying to make this look so boring. Like, <laughs> they just threw, like, gray plastic wrap on these women. And, Maybe like, it was. Them. Like, we should look it up. I didn't look it up, that, that line from that... that well, show. yeah, they talked about how... Oh, it, it just, it looks so boring. And, they, but they purposely didn't pay that much attention to it. Mm-hmm. So I think they were trying to infer that, like, this was a dud. No one was excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, because it's like the first one where Gianni was in charge. They drew a lot of attention to the dresses. And then the one after Donatella gets out of rehab, they drew a lot of attention to the dresses. But the one after Gianni's death, right after Donatella took over, it was like, Model, 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 and it's over, and she hates it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And so, everyone else does too. <laughs> uh, I, I looked it up. I guess so. Versace, you know, high end luxury clothes for the most part. Uh, but then in the post rehab one, she wanted to be all ready to wear, right? Which shows how out of the loop I am on fashion. Like there are clothes that aren't ready to wear. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say that I thought it was fitting that they ended with the CC Peniston song. Finally, it's happened to me. But a cover of it, that was not C.C. Peniston singing. I just felt it was appropriate with all the um, knockoff looks we had running down the runway. So last night at your party, you mentioned there should be a song whenever there's a gay character in a movie, the song should should play. Yeah, uh, got to be real. So do you? <laughs> and like I, Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Would you, would you feel that song is appropriate in Brokeback Mountain? I'm going to do a cut now where it just has Ennis saying, I wish I could quit you. I mean, it works in, it works on a lot of levels. It could have worked at the end of Bound, let's be honest. You know what the difference is between you and me, Violet? Yeah. Me neither. Yeah, they slammed their doors. They went for Tom Jones. It's a lady. She's a lady. Yeah, they could have done. Got to be real. (laughs) Which yeah would have been fitting. Yeah, that that wouldn't be wholly inappropriate. Yeah, it works. It works in basically any. I think it actually is the the song that plays at the end of the Birdcage. (laughs) Or no, that's We Are Family. Yeah, Sister Uh, Sledge is all over that movie. Close, but not quite. Any final thoughts? (laughs) Well, for me, it's really that. This, I think, shows Gina Gershon's talents. Because Bound is a good movie, and I think it would be good despite Gina Gershon being in it. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that she is, because, of course, she sells it even more. It elevates it. Uh, but this movie, I think, would be bad without Gina Gershon. Yeah. And, like, that's sort of the test here, is that she is really what makes this movie watchable. There's just huge swaths where the dialogue is bad, and they're doing a lot of telling and not showing. Yeah. But Gina is selling the dialogue. Like, she's really leaning into it, but she's not overselling it. She's not hamming it up. Mm-hmm. She she makes this movie. Yeah, like, it's hard not to think of Gina Gershon with, and separate her from Showgirls and how over-the-top Showgirls is, mm-hmm. you know, by design, in case we have any defenders <laughs> in the audience. I, well, just real fast while we're on that, um, David Schmader has a great... Uh, line about her in the movie and he's like there's one person that knows what kind of movie they're in and it's Gina Gershon (laughs) and Showgirls yes and I mean it's kind of true like she sometimes so a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh Take This Waltz yeah yeah and when I was listening to the podcast I discovered what really made the difference between you and I Mm -hmm. I was watching the characters and you were watching the movie Mm. 
And I feel like that's how Gina Gershon is. Like, she sees the movie. Like, she doesn't just see her character. Mm. She sees what the movie is and puts herself in that role. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good way. Of, well put. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's her X factor is that she knows she knows what movie she's in and she knows what part she needs to play and she sells the shit out of it. Because she's not necessarily a scene stealer. Mm-hmm. Like, in Bound, she's not trying to, like, overshadow Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, she doesn't at all. She's playing back and forth. Like, it's a very mutual exchange. Like, they're scenes together. Absolutely. But when it, it calls for her to steal, steal the scene... And, which I think is more apparent in House of Versace. <laughs> she does it. Like, when it, it calls for her to really, like, be the star of the movie, yeah. like, she pulls it out. Like, she does it. Yeah. I wish we had some chips we could toast with. <laughs> <laughs> I got some doggy chow. <laughs> I used to love doggy chow. I love doggy chow, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed watching these two movies. I did too. Did you watch... Which order did you watch them in? I did them in the order we talked. I did Bound and House okay. of Okay, I did them the other way around. Oh, okay. Because I took an edible at the beginning of House of Versace, mm-hmm. and I figured it would just take me through to the end of Bound. Yeah. And it did, and it was wonderful. Yeah, this is actually... I don't want this to come across that I think House of Versace is a good movie. Yeah. But of the three... Uh, double features we've done. I think this might have been my favorite one so far. Really? Yeah. Okay. Just because, I mean, I, I can't get enough Gina. Like, I, after watching those two movies, I was like, I could watch three more movies starring her. Yeah. Or with her in them. Yeah. You know? She just, like, she, she's got my eyeballs. With with House of Versace, because it's not great, but, like, especially, like, if you're going to have some friends over and you're going to, like, drink and air some grievances. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a good movie to watch. Like, it's the kind of the definition of watchable garbage. Yeah. Like, it's it's really, it's good enough that you can duck in and out of it, um, but also, like, it can hold your attention if you're sitting down watching it. Uh, I, I, that said, I don't know if I want to watch it again, although I had to buy it to stream <laughs> it for this. So, anytime I want to rewatch it, I can. God, really? You can't rent it online on streaming services. Oh. I count, like, because I, I never, I, there's not a single movie. Oh, no, I did watch Take This Waltz on Netflix. Okay. But other than that, of, so we've done 30 episodes with two double features, so that's what, 34 movies in total now? 33. 33 movies? Mm-hmm. Only one of them, Take This Waltz, have I not gotten from Scarecrow Video. Oh, wow. Um, Good for you. Yeah. They have a DVD of House of Versace? <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to take a moment and turn to camera to say, uh, <laughs> Scarecrow Video, we love you. Yeah. We're, uh, we're so happy that you are a part of Seattle and uh, keeping all the movies, the, the keepers of the movies. Um, I have a little chart around some place that shows it's like the number of movies available on Netflix mm-hmm. and like the number of movies available on like Amazon Prime and the number of movies available on Hulu and it's always around like the like 10 to 20,000 range okay 
and the number of movies available at Scarecrow is 120,000. Oh my gosh. I'm not surprised. I mean, it's an amazing place. Yeah. Well, have we covered it all? Do we have any final thoughts? Oh my god! I forgot my fun fact that I that I kept I held back on. So there's a scene in Bound, yeah, where uh, Gina Gershon is playing the jaw harp. The boing. That's the PC term for it. Yeah, I feel uncomfortable saying. Yeah, that's fine for it. Um, in and her, in her tidy whities Yeah, and uh, apparently. She actually plays it. There is a yeah. Scissors Sisters song. No. Called uh, I Can't Decide off of their second album. Yeah. Where she plays the job. Get out of here. I'm not kidding. You already blew my mind once tonight. She's she's just, when, just when you think she's can't get any more amazing. She's on a Scissor Sister that, album playing the jaw hurt. God damn it. No, I know that song well. That The second Scissor Sisters album is one of my favorites. I mean, is there anything she can't do? God. <laughs> Gina, we love you. We do love you. And um, you are more than welcome to come on this podcast. More, You can maybe, take my place. Maybe <laughs> more so than anybody else we've invited on so far. Sorry, Jay Gore and... J-Wall. <laughs> but yeah. I, I was very happy with this. It was it was a solid double feature. Yeah, and I'm gonna... You know what? I'm just gonna give uh, a lot of the credit to that to, to Gina Gershon. Yeah. So, thanks for... Thanks, Gina, for all the memories. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are we watching in two weeks? Oh my god, after the break. Season four? Season four. I wanted to start season four out with a bang. Oh. Or maybe a sploosh. Magic Mike. Double XL. (laughs) I haven't seen it yet. Get ready for your pants to tighten. (laughs) I'm wearing a dress. (laughs) Well, it's going to be a skirt here shortly. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's directed by the guy who edited the first movie. Okay. And I love it. I was not a huge fan of the first Magic Mike. They get rid of that blah girl from the first one. <laughs> and replace her with like a series of talented actresses. They have Jada Pinkett Smith, who oh, like yeah. runs, like I guess, uh, uh, the ladies equivalent of a gentleman's club. I see, okay. Um, and then they have Annie McDowell as the sort of... Uh, Lovelorn housewife. By the way, I, she was just a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh yeah, looks so good. She looks beautiful still. Wait till you see her scene. Okay, I'll wear loose pants. <laughs> shall we? Shall we plug our junk? Let's plug our junk. Okay. We are uh, on Twitter at X Rated Movies. Uh, like us on Facebook or follow us. Not quite sure what the difference is. Um, at Rated X Movies. We have an email account that you can email us emails to at it's x.rated.movies at gmail.com. 
Uh, like, subscribe, review on iTunes. Just X-rated movies. Yeah. If you, when you see us, you searched it. You just click on that fifth star or that first star. We don't want those middling reviews. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Go big or go home. Yeah. <laughs> also, the tagline to the movie we're going to watch next week. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you in two weeks with Magic Mike XXL. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Gina, we love you. Bye. Bye.